we're going to wrap up, uh, we wrapped up last week uh, a, a series, and uh, significant others, one of, our, one of our good series, got a lot of good comments on that. Uh, you can catch it online if you did not, uh, weren't able to be here. Uh, some of it's on Facebook Live, and uh, we are streaming live, so you can uh, check that out as well. But I want to commend you guys for being here. You know, typically, uh, this is the, the Sunday that's the lowest in a lot of churches, uh, just because people forget to turn <laughs> their clocks ahead. You know, I think we conveniently sometimes don't do that. Uh, but I want to commend you guys, I really do. It's great to see everybody here this morning, bright and early in this service, and I'm sure there will some drag into the second service, uh, but we'll be glad to see them as well, all right? Um, guys, we're going to start a new series today called uh, The Seven Last Words of Jesus, Seven Last Words, and uh, I, I've already been studying on this for a few weeks now, and I'm really excited about it. I think God's going to do some powerful things and lead us up into Easter and just going to make this an awesome season for us, so I'm excited for what God's going to do. But I want to kick off by asking you a question this morning. Do you know anybody in your life that has to have the last word? The last word. Now, some of you wives are looking at your husbands, and husbands are glancing apart. Maybe it's your spouse. You know, maybe it's your child. You know, you tell them something, and they smart off back. And then you tell them, and they, you know, you just want to be the last one to say the word, but they want to be as well. They want that last word that's spoken. The last word is pretty doggone important for a lot of people uh, and when you think about it, and it's not just because you need to feel like you won by having the last say. Last words are pretty important. I mean, think about this. Think about the last will and testament. And that's a pretty important thing for someone's life to say what they want to happen to what they've done with their life and what they've accumulated. Think about having the, or getting the last laugh on someone. That's pretty important sometimes, isn't it? How about your last chance or your last warning? That's pretty significant as well. How about making the last second shot to win the game? You know, sometimes what comes last is pretty doggone important. And we usually try to say the most important things right before we leave. I love you. Be careful. See you tomorrow. Take care. Whatever it is we're trying to communicate, last words are pretty important. And important things not only become last, often said last, but they're also said first as well. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some important things that Jesus had to say. And we're calling them, or they're kind of viewed as the last words of Christ. Because while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made several final statements. And, and maybe you've heard them before. If you back to a few moments ago, you saw them kind of flashed on the screen. But I want to take some time and examine them, what they say, because they kind of show us the heart of Jesus in a lot of ways. The last things that Jesus said before his death are very significant. As we look at these words and, and move toward Easter, it all kind of comes together with Jesus on the cross. We're going to see why they're so important, but we're also going to see how they lead us up to the most exciting day our world has ever known. And so today, we're going to look at those first two statements of Jesus on the cross because they both deal with the same thing. First, though, let's take a few moments and look what Jesus was going through when he was on the cross, when he was saying these things. I think that's pretty significant, and as we kind of move through this and talk about what the, the, the experience of crucifixion was like, I hope you kind of get a picture of how difficult it was for Jesus to even say anything. But he made these statements, and, and he and left them for us as a legacy because they're so significant for us today. When Jesus made these statements, he was literally being crucified, which would mean that he was dying on a cross. It was his dying words, his dying breaths that he talked. Also remember that Jesus had been up all night. He had been shuffled from one courtroom to another, and then he had been beaten twice. 
First of all, he was beaten by the Jewish religious leaders, which would mean a series of uh, uh, attacks. In other words, they would slap him, and, and they would hit him with their fists. They would kick him. Uh, physically, they attacked him. And then Jesus had been taken and flogged by the Romans, who were not nearly as subtle as the Jewish religious leaders. He had been taken, and he had been whipped. He had been flogged by what was called a cat nine tails that had multiple tips with steel and bone and sharp hooks embedded in each of the tips. They would beat, they would pierce, they would literally tear the flesh, ripping the flesh to shreds. In fact, there were accounts of people's bones being exposed, even organs being ripped out by this incredible whipping that he would experience. When the Romans wanted to kill somebody with the whipping, they would whip them 40 lashes. With Jesus, they limited it to 39. And so his experience in that was just horrible, painful. And then they smashed a crown of thorns, probably three to four inch thorns that were platted into a crown, placed upon his head, impaling his scalp, lacerating his face, opening up wounds and, blooding, uh, and bleeding. And then the crown was crushed down upon his head with a stick that was like a baseball bat that would beat him in the head to just force the, the thorns into his scalp. You know, it's kind of interesting that today there's kind of a national debate about the humane process of capital punishment. Some people saying that, that it shouldn't be done because the, the victim uh, or the, the, the person might be hurt in the process. But in that day, they did everything they could to make it the most painful, torturous experience ever. And they had perfected the, 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 the method of crucifixion to try to prevent people from committing a crime. They thought, if we make this so horrible, we make it so public, surely people will not commit crimes or the rebel against the Roman government. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't guilty of any crime. He had done nothing wrong. In fact, the entire trial, both trials, or all the time he was tried through the night, he was not convicted of any crime or even indicated, but to please the people Pilate, who was the, the governor, sentenced him to a criminal's death. So here was Jesus. He was wounded and weak and broken and bleeding. And then he was forced to carry the horizontal beam of the cross on his back. The, the vertical normally was stuck into the ground, and the, the victim would have to carry the horizontal beam from the place of judgment to the place of crucifixion. This would probably weigh 40 to 60 pounds. It would be rough, placed upon the already bleeding and broken back. And Jesus had been beaten so badly that he could not carry the beam, could not carry his cross. And so a bystander had to be recruited to carry it the rest of the way to the place of execution, which was called Golgotha or the hill of Calvary. It was a hill outside of Jerusalem. And once that Jesus was there, he was stripped naked and soldiers used large spikes to impale his wrist onto the cross beam. You know, we've probably all seen the pictures of, of Jesus with the holes in his hands, more than likely. But, but more than likely, instead of being in the palm of his hand, it was in the wrist because there was much more uh, tendons and muscles and bones to hold him on the cross. And then once he was nailed to the cross beam, the, the cross beam was lifted up and dropped over the vertical pole, and it was just dropped, tearing the flesh and muscles, and a nail was then driven through the ankles to anchor him firmly to the cross. Now, if you could imagine all of that experience that Jesus went through and how horribly painful that was. In fact, this is where we get the word excruciating. You can see the word crucifixion actually in that word that mean, literally means from the cross. Crucifixion was designed to create maximum torture, humiliation, pain, and suffering. 
And the soldiers, after they had done their grisly work, they were given the victim's clothes as, as, uh, as their pay, and so they would gamble for the clothing at the foot of the cross while the person was dying. Just imagine what that whole experience looked like. There was nothing glorious. There was nothing beautiful about that moment. And death would come. It come through shock, blood loss, pain, exposure, and suffocation. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. Oftentimes, the victim would live on for a day or two, but if the soldiers wanted to get the work over with or if the Sabbath was coming up or some other reason, they would break the victim's legs so they couldn't lift themselves to breathe anymore, and they would soon suffocate themselves to death. Within six hours of Jesus' crucifixion, however, he was dead. He did not have to have his legs broken because the prophecy had said that not a bone would be broken, but he would be pierced, he would be, his blood would be poured out, but not a bone would be broken on the cross. Now, in thinking about that experience, you know, you might ask the question, how could anyone think clearly enough to speak? How could anyone manage the words to get them out of their mouth that would be, you know, intelligible to even understand what they were saying? But Jesus was conscious enough to speak clearly seven statements on the cross that are recorded for us thousands of years later. And those words that were spoken were, uh, were words of compassion. There's no anger there. It's, it's amazing for us to think about how Jesus endured that, but those words were just words of compassion and peace and encouragement to us. And that's why we can hear 2,000 years later just so we can talk about them and we can rejoice in those words because how special they were. So let's take a few moments uh, this morning and look at the first two sets of statements that Jesus made. The first words that Jesus made were about those who have put him on the cross. Here's what he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. The first of Jesus' words were, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine the surprise of the soldiers who were gathered around the cross? I mean, I, they had done this, probably they were pros at it, doing it maybe even daily. And I'm sure they'd heard a lot of words. They'd heard uh, the victims curse and, and spew profanity and plead and beg and wail and scream and everything else. But I really doubt they had ever heard the victim forgiving them and asking God to forgive them the ones who were putting them there. It was forgiveness. And you know, there's something really special about the word forgiveness, isn't it? Even that word brings about some peace. Wouldn't you like to have forgiveness from the people that you've wounded in life? I believe that forgiveness is the heart cry for every human being. Every one of us need forgiveness. No matter how harsh we have been or can be, we all need forgiveness. Do you have something in your life that you wish somebody would forgive you for? Maybe something that you did, you know you did it, you wounded them, and you don't even know what to say anymore, but you know you were wrong, it was too much, you went too far, you were too bad, too wrong, too many times. And it's damaged or maybe even broken your relationship, and you're hurting, and you wonder, can they ever forgive you? Maybe it was divorce, unfaithfulness to your spouse, maybe it was an abortion you had years ago. Perhaps it was lying or stealing or gossip or who knows what it might be, any number of things. We all long to be forgiven by one another. We all long for that. You know, I had a personal experience not too long ago. It kind of went back for several years. You know, sometimes things can linger on and we, we, we're burdened with them for a long time. Several years ago, there was, um, there was a family that got very upset with me and uh, you know, it, there were hurt feelings on both sides, and there was a lot of tension there. And because of that, there was a broken relationship. 
And I, I would like to think that I didn't do as much in my part, but I probably did in, in, in my humanness. But it was a painful thing for all of us. And for several years, I didn't even see these, these people. But back in the fall, I happened to run into the lady. And you know how that awkward feeling is when you know there's tension between you and somebody else? You don't know what to say. You don't know how they're going to receive you. You're feeling really uncomfortable about it. That's how I felt. And so we, it was so, uh, the situation, we had to speak or it would have been really super rude. And so I spoke and we, you know, we did a little small talk, just chatted. And, and finally I said, what well, was on my heart? I said, you know, I, I am really sorry. I am really sorry about what happened years ago. And I didn't know what her response would be. You know, for all I knew, she would lay into me over the whole thing. But you know what was so amazing? God had done something beautiful in her heart. And she just kind of softened up and she just said, you know what, it is okay. She said, it is okay. You know, we all did things, we all say things, and it's okay. You know what? It just felt like a burden had been lifted off my shoulders. You know, and, and uh, there's something about me, I'm, I'm kind of a natural pleaser anyway, but I just felt like God had given me a gift that day. Forgiveness is a gift that you can give to someone, and it's a gift that we all long, I believe, we long to receive that. And so as hard as these soldiers were, and as many people as they had put to death on the cross, I got a feeling those words lifted their hearts and more than likely changed them. In fact, there, there's an account of a soldier that was there that was moved by what was said, no doubt, what was, what, by, by the whole experience, no doubt, but partly because of what Jesus said in offering forgiveness. And you know what? The longing to be forgiven by God is even stronger than our longing to be forgiven by somebody else. Can God forgive you for what you have done? Would that be possible? Could you imagine that God would forgive you? Will God forgive you? Will God give you a second chance? Will God give you a third, a fourth, however many chances that you need? Have you ever wondered that, if God could forgive you? Well, here's some great news. Because this, these first words that Jesus said, these words will assure you that he can. Because in the middle of Jesus' most horrible moments, the first thing on his mind was forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? The first thing that Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. The very people who were actively torturing him and killing him, before I die, God, I want you to forgive these people. And you know what? His prayer is for all of us today, for anyone who longs for forgiveness from God, for anyone who's ever broken God's commandments, who've ever alienated themselves from God by disobedience or by any sin, God will forgive. Father, forgive them. Jesus' next words were not to the people around him on the ground, but amazingly to the people who were beside him because there were two thieves who were being crucified on either side of him. Luke chapter 23 says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place where the, called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're being punished justly, but for what we're getting, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two men, one on either side with totally different reactions to Jesus. Both of them wicked men, both of them thieves 
and robbers. You know, you didn't have to commit a capital offense to be put to death in that day. Theft would get you crucifixion. And so these men had been brought in and tried, and, and they were all being crucified together. But one of them was mocking Jesus like everybody else was. One of, the, one of the shameful things about dying on the cross was that it was a public execution. People were standing around hurling insults and mocking the people who were dying on the cross. Imagine what that was like. And here is a guy who is on the cross as well, and he's mocking Jesus. I mean, you got to be a pretty hard person to mock another person's suffering while you're in the same condition. you got to be a hard person inside. Like, hey, Jesus, if that's who you are, why don't you get us all off these crosses? We'll all go home. You know, I have an idea. This guy didn't have any idea who Jesus was. He totally was lost. But the other thief was different. He knew that he deserved what he had done, and he deserved to die for his crime. He knew that one day there was going to be a judgment that he wouldn't pass. He knew alone he could not do it. And just by hearing Jesus, even these simple words of Jesus asking God to forgive his murderers, he knew Jesus was different. And on that cross, he believed. And he offered the most humble prayer that a person can ever offer to God. God, just remember me. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, wherever you're going, I want to go with you. Whatever you're going to do, I want to be a part of that. Whatever's happening, I'm going to be there with you. I want to be a part of it. You know, I would say that, that this probably was the most desperate person that Jesus had ever met. A man who was just about to breathe his own final death breaths, and he called out to Jesus. You know, this may have been the only exposure that Jesus, this man, had ever had. We don't know. Maybe he had never even heard the name, but in a few moments he perceived who Jesus was, which tells us how quickly we can find salvation in Christ. Or maybe he had heard Jesus preach many times, and this moment everything began to sink in. We don't know. We just don't know. But in a few moments on the cross, he believed, and he stakes his eternity on his faith. He forgot all about his own shame. He forgot all about his own sin and what was going on around him. And he reached out to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. More forgiveness, more forgiveness was offered. You know, a lot of people use the thief on the cross as an example of salvation and, and what we have to do. But let me tell you, this was a pretty unique situation right here. It was pretty unique. In fact, I don't think any of us want to be in that situation and find Jesus in that place, right? One thing about it, this was the other side of the cross than us today. Jesus had not died. He had not been brought to life again. He had not been resurrected. After his death, burial, and resurrection, which was, was coming quickly, the way to be saved was to believe, repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So understand, this is a very unique situation that Jesus spoke these words to him. He offers us the same thing today, but he says, now... You need to understand what I've done for you. This was before any of this had been accomplished, but now we need to recognize that as a part of our salvation, that our sins have been forgiven and washed away because of what Jesus did upon the cross, and understand that that becomes a part of our identity with Christ today. But in this situation, in this moment, it's amazing to me that the other guy didn't believe. I mean, think about that. This guy was dying, and he knew it. He would not get off the cross alive. It was his last chance to be saved, but he blew it. Let me ask you, what would you have done? What would you have done if you had been on the cross? And maybe to make it a little more personal, what are you doing right now? 
What are you doing right now? You see, there are only two ways to, to live life. One way to live life is to live it like you're never way off and I'm just not going to think about death. Or if I do think about death, how I live my life now doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. That's one way to think. Or the other way is that you can live life knowing that you're going to die. And whenever you die, there will be nothing more important than how you live your life and the decisions that you made while you were alive. Now, the second way is very wise. The first way is very foolish. In fact, it goes against all logic and all experience because we all are going to die. You know, Dave Freeman wrote a travel book all about uh, places to go. He, he entitled it 101 Things to Do Before You Die. He had done 28 of those things, of the 101, before he died at a fall, not on a trip, but in his home. 101 things to do on his bucket list. He did 28, and he died doing something that was mundane, changing a light bulb or something at the age of 47. You know what? The book should have been 102 things to do, and the very first thing to be done was to prepare to die because you never know when that moment's going to come in your life. Because we all have two problems in life. One problem, some people live as if they think they will never die. Some people never expect to die. But let me tell you, the statistics about death are pretty impressive, 100%. There are very few things in life that are 100% going to happen, but death is one of them. And it will be sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. Everyone thinks, you know what? I never thought it would happen this quickly. I thought I would have more time. I thought I could do more things, 101 things that Dave had in mind there. I just didn't think it would happen this quickly. A lot of people never think about death being a reality, but the other problem is if I do die, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You honestly think you're good. You're ready to die on your own. And the reason for that is because many of us, we kind of do our own self-evaluation. We do our own review in life, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was a, um, a particular kind of evaluation. I don't hear as much about it, but it was called the 360 Review. You guys ever heard of that? Some of you in business probably have the 360 Review. And the 360 Review is that you ask a lot of people uh, about how you're doing. You ask the people who are under you, the people that you lead or manage, how do you think I'm doing? How do I lead? And then you ask the people who are on either side of you, your peers that you work alongside of, how do you think I'm doing in life? You know, kind of a peer review type thing. And then the final part of that 360 is your supervisor. So you kind of ask everybody around you. Now, it's kind of interesting to know what your, um, the people under you think about your leadership, right? And I guess it's interesting to know what other people think, but there really is only one person that matters in this whole review, right? And that's what your supervisor thinks of you. That really is the only thing that matters because nobody else is going to give you a promotion or help you keep your job or give you a raise or anything else. It's the supervisor that's important, right? Well, here's the problem with a lot of us. We do a spiritual 360, and it looks a little bit like this. We have the people under us, the people that we, you know, know we're better than, right? And it's always better to e easier to compare ourselves to people under us who are not as good as us. And then we, then we gather in people who are like us, who, who are, you know, similar, and compare ourselves to them, and they're going to give us a pass, we know. And we feel pretty good when the people under us that we're better than, the people that we're equal to, give us all a pass. 
But you know what? It's only the person at the top that really matters because God's the one that's going to give us the ultimate evaluation. That's where the true judgment's going to come from. It's not going to come from our peers or the people that we think we're better than because if we were to look at ourselves, not in the light of others, but in the light of God, how would we rate ourselves? Not as well, probably, as we would like to admit. And if you think it's too difficult to compare yourself to God, then there's a better measuring tool, a better person to look at, and that's Jesus, because he is the one that will be judged by. Acts chapter 17 says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is the man? Jesus. He is Jesus. We'll be judged by him. And in this moment, the man on the cross, the thief on, uh, on one side who believed in Jesus understood that Jesus was the only way to get out of this world with any hope. And so he said, Jesus, remember me. Two men, one on either side of the cross, one even at the point of death and acting like he was never going to die or that how he lived didn't matter. But the other one who was at death's door also was desperate to recover from a life that had been very poorly lived, ready to give everything he had to Jesus. And only one of those two guys received forgiveness. Could you take just a moment and think about yourself being there beside Jesus? Which side of the cross would you be on? And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that you're wise enough to know that one day you're going to die. And maybe right now, I've kind of got your attention. Maybe God's got your attention, and maybe your heart is open to, to him. But you think, you know what? I know I'm going to die, but I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. And maybe you do. Do you? I don't know. Do you? None of us know. Will there ever be another moment that you're critically aware of your sin and your mortality? Maybe so. Maybe not. We don't know, do we? Is it wise to wait? Is it wise to wait? You know, I heard a fictional story one time about a strategy session between Satan and, and his demons, and they were trying to come up with ways to stop people from accepting Christ. And one of the little naive demons said, you know, I got an idea. Let's tell them that there's no life after death. And Satan quickly squashed that. He said, that will never work because people are not stupid. He said, uh, even atheists believe that there's an eternal soul and that there's life after death. Another someone said, well, let's, let's tell them there's no God. Or if he is, he's not, he's not a personal God. He's like a force or energy. And Satan said, well, that won't work because humans have this innate knowledge that there is a God. Another one said, well, let's tell, them all that, let's tell them all about the hypocrites, the fake Christians, and all that's been done in the name of Jesus to make a mockery of the cross. And Satan said, well, that might work for some of them, but most people are smart enough to see that that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus himself. And finally, one demon stood up with an evil grin, and he said, I have an idea. He said, let's just tell them there's no hurry. And Satan said, that's perfect. Because that's how so many people live their life in thinking there is no hurry. But I want to tell you, there is a God, and we're not God. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all need his forgiveness. And if you've not experienced that forgiveness today, you need to give your life to Jesus in order to be able and ready to die with confidence and peace. Maybe today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why should you wait? Why should you put off what you know needs to be done? Because there is a gracious God who is waiting for us.
And I want to encourage you not to waste a moment of the time that God's given you. You know, when I was a kid, and we were laughing about this earlier, but um, there was a show on TV called The Partridge Family. Anybody remember The Partridge Family? Yeah, you guys, some of you do. Some of the young ones are like, the what? The Partridge Family? But, but one of the stars of that show was David Cassidy. And uh, my sisters had posters of David Cassidy on the wall. That was back in the day, you know, when, when the heart throbs. Had pictures of David Cassidy on the wall. And, uh, you know, David died recently. You probably read in the news. He died uh, after a life that was wasted in a lot of ways, a life of addiction and broken family relationships. But at the end, I believe he did reconcile with his family. But the last words were shared by his daughter. Here's what he said, so much wasted time. Those were his last words, so much wasted time. You know, I believe that for many of us, that will be the way that, that we go out, so much wasted time. There'll be some people that will say so many wasted opportunities to know Jesus. They never took advantage. But maybe there are others who, who will come to the place, and maybe at the end of your life, you get a chance to, to, to do right and straighten things out. But wouldn't it be sad to summarize your life by saying so much wasted time? And I would encourage you not to waste any more time today, but to run to Jesus. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask if you would just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And the first thing I'm going to ask us all to do, every one of us, is to acknowledge that we're sinners. We need to be honest about it. We need to acknowledge that. And we need to ask God's forgiveness for our sin. And like the thief on the cross, to tell him that I want to be remembered. I want to be a part of your family. God, whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of that. And if that's you and you're here this morning as a Christian, I want to encourage you just to say, I want to reaffirm my faith in Jesus, and I don't want to waste another moment of my life. I'm going to throw myself into serving him and, and being a disciple who disciples other people, makes other disciples. I want to be faithful. But if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision or you've never cried out to God and you're doing this for the first time in your life or you want to talk to someone about that, I'm going to ask if you would right now just to please raise your hand. Would you just do that? Just to raise your hand. It's so important that we make that decision, but also I want to encourage you to say, I want to follow up on that decision as well. Because we want to make sure that not only you believe that, but also we want to walk you through the process of repentance, of confession, and experiencing Christian baptism. We would love to have that time and that conversation with you. And, uh, and so if you raised your hand this morning, would you please come and talk to me after the service? Or maybe you didn't raise your hand, you want to talk. We'd love to have that conversation. We'll set down a time of your convenience and talk about this most important thing in life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come today, and Lord, we're just so grateful for Jesus. Father, while that experience on the cross, is, it's just painful for us to even think about, just to imagine what Jesus went through. God, in a way, we're grateful. We're selfishly grateful because we know that that experience of Jesus bought the forgiveness of our sins. And God, were it not for that moment in time, were it not for Jesus' willingness, were it not for your love and the sacrifice you made to send him into our world to die, God, we would be lost in our sins. We would still be going to live a life and die, but we wouldn't have hope after that. So, Lord, I pray that, God, you would move today in, in our hearts and draw us to you. 
Lord, for those of us who are believers, give us a passion to serve you. Help us not to be mediocre in our faith. Help us not to be um, inactive or, or unconcerned or caught up in the world. But God, remind us that the time is passing and we don't want to waste a moment. God, if there are those here this morning who have never given their life to Christ, give them the courage to step up and say, I need to have a conversation. I need to make things right. God, we love you. We worship you. And we celebrate what you've done for us. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.